Welcome to the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. And now your host of the show, Dr. Jennifer K. Thompson. Welcome and thanks for joining us today. I have two guests today. They're two different conversations that were recorded at different times, but they are related and you will see how as the episode goes on. But one of the most important ways that they're related is that both of my guests are people um, who I have a tremendous amount of respect and admiration for. And they're both people from whom I've learned. And one of the most important things I've learned from both of my guests is to have a sense of optimism and hopefulness about the work we do at Civil Squared. So I'm going to introduce you today to Liz Joyner, who is the founder and CEO of The Village Square. The Village Square is a nonpartisan public educational forum, uh, and it was started in Tallahassee, Florida. And if you go to their website, you can read about their programming. We'll link to that in the show notes. But you can learn a lot about the Village Square just by reading the way they describe themselves. And that is as a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that dialogue and disagreement make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. And you will hear when I speak with Liz how humor and positive thinking absolutely define the way she goes about the work that she does. A little later, I'm going to introduce you to Jeremy Garson, who's the Chief of Staff and Legal Counsel for the Bridge Alliance, which is a coalition of about 100 organizations across the country who are working to promote healthy self-governance. Village Square, Liz's group, is a member of the Bridge Alliance, as are we at Civil Squared. So we'll talk to Jeremy in a little bit, but with both Liz and Jeremy, one of the things that prompted my discussions with them is that we're all thinking as people who are really focused on getting people together to have discussion, particularly when they disagree, what that's going to look like post-COVID-19. It's March of 2021. We are hopeful that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that at some point we're going to return to some kind of normal. What have we learned since the pandemic started? What have we learned from having to adjust the way we think about getting people together in conversation and using new tools? And in learning those things, what lessons can we apply to the way the world will look after COVID-19? So that's what we discussed. There are a whole lot of other things we discussed and I hope you enjoyed both conversations. First of all, Liz Joyner, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, You have a great organization, the Village Square, and I want you to tell everybody about it and what you do because it is, we will link in the show notes, but it is one of my favorite, favorite websites, organizations to read about the work you're doing. So, So if you would tell our audience what you do. So the Village Square is a community-based effort to build bridges across division. And we've been doing this for a decade and a half. Um, We kind of stumbled upon it when there was a very controversial local issue that there weren't good conversations about. And I noticed that good conversations were happening between people who had very different opinions on the controversy. And so we started talking about how we turned that into from five people to 10 people to 100 people to 1,000 people. And that's what we've been doing since. 
and we we gather people who don't look or think alike and talk about everything. Um, we tease that that we talk about the topics that your mother told you to not uh, discuss yeah. in polite company, politics, faith, and race. And uh, we we talk in all sorts of different places. We uh, you know have events in bars. We have events. Uh, in churches, we have events in the middle of the street downtown that's closed off to traffic. And so, you know, we, we, don't, we don't talk to um, agree necessarily because we think that part of the idea is that we're supposed to uh, disagree and keep on talking. Yeah. And um, it's really been a, a real joy all these years to be doing this work. Um, it, it, it has, you know, sort of personally centered me at a difficult time for the country. And I suspect too that you have seen massive growth in this field, right? Of people wanting to talk about having conversations and modeling how to have conversations and all the different ways to do that and all the different kind of paths. Has that been kind of amazing for you to see? Yes. And it, and it's been wonderful. I, I really think that um, the average citizen who may not know what's going on in this growth field of bridging work would be really inspired by it because I kind of think of it as, as Tocqueville 2.0, right? Which is, you know, um, it's, it's kind of a revival of the essence of American democracy for, you know, a new century and a new age and a digital age. And there are just so many citizens who are stopping their normal lives and putting their shoulder to the wheel to do a part of the work. And I find that just incredibly it, 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 it's inspiring. Um, so, yeah. so it's been actually a real joy. Um, and it's funny because I would say at first, um, maybe the first couple of organizations that came along after we came along, uh, you know, we were young and, and, and yeah. I went, Oh no. Um, and, and I think one of the things that has happened is just everybody sort of has a different piece that they look at and they see and, yeah. And, you know, together, you know, they work together and almost always when someone new comes along, I've found it to be a good thing. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's true too. I mean, people have different solutions to the challenge and they have different views of what the challenge is, right? Yeah, which in some ways sort of gets back to sort of what a healthy democracy looks like, right? Is you see it from different angles and you address it from different angles. And, you know, it was a real honor to, I was in the, you know, first sort of, I guess, field type meeting about the idea of starting Bridge Alliance and to think of what has come out of that room, you know, from just really average citizens who care about our future doing their part. It's cool. It's very cool. So along those lines, you mentioned the digital part um, and Tocqueville 2.0, which is cool too. I like that idea. Talk about what the pandemic has been like for you. So I, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it, is it fair to say that most of the programming that you were doing prior to, say, March of 2020 was in-person, face-to-face programming? Pretty much all of it. In fact, our, our foundational concept is that it is that face-to-face engagement that shifts people, that makes people see the humanity in each other and decreases demonization. So, and, you know, we, we've, we've essentially attached 15 years of work to that premise. And then all of a sudden, oh, we can't meet in person and, and we meet in big groups too. So we are by definition, kind of the last thing that's going to come back. It's, you know, we don't meet in groups of 20, we meet in groups of a hundred or 200 or a thousand. So, 
Um, so, you know, we've, we've probably got a pretty good stretch still, um, yeah. or before we're back in, you know, what we used to do. Absolutely. So what did, what did that look like for you in, I mean, for us, I'm going to say March of 2020, because I remember March, I think it was March 4th, we had an event in um, Manhattan and we, you know, one of our staff and we would do all of our stuff face to face. One of our staff went out there and the night before, you know, we had confirmed with participants, if you're, if you're, you know, plans have changed and everybody was coming the night before. And it was just at the time when things were shutting down. And the next day, like two people showed up for it. And the two people who were there, I think were really nervous about being there. You know, and <laughs> It was kind of like the end of the world is coming, you know? So really quickly, I mean, we were doing online programs, but, but we knew that the kind of highest value interactions, like you were saying for our participants, when they reported on what, what they'd, they'd, been to and everything was that face-to-face like dinner conversations that kind of thing how do you replace that or how do you adjust um in the face of it we've all had to do it with work and all these other things but how did you at the village square think about that and what kinds of changes did you make to be able to keep doing what you wanted to do so it's funny because you're telling the story of your memory of when things shifted i have a story of when it shifted too although because we're in tallahassee florida it was behind you, right? So, um, so our for our last event was this big annual town hall we had. It was our eighth annual town hall. We had all the city and the county commissioners. Um, we had an audience full of people. Um, we had um, we it was on um, public radio uh, or public television, et cetera. And it was just this creeping awareness, like we we had a little bit of hand sanitizer at the front. And then we'd kind of have this sort of awkward moment where you didn't know whether you should hug or not. And if you hug, you kind of right, say, oh, I don't, right. I don't have COVID. <laughs> and so that, that was our last normal event. And then boom, it just became obvious that we were not going to have another one of those in person. And we haven't since. And, yeah. um, and, um, and I, I think that it's just true that uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And, mm-hmm. and so we had to just rethink um, you know, how in the world do you do this in an all digital environment? And I think that if you had asked me before, um, COVID what I thought about that, I think I would have said, uh, -uh, no way. That's actually kind of the enemy of what it is we're trying to do. And it it isn't that we didn't use digital to, to scale, but it was always to scale what we were doing in person. Yeah. Um, so, so given that we, we had to do something different, um, we began, I mean, you know, the first things that we did were COVID related is we had, we started having digital programs, um, on COVID. And then after the George Floyd tragedy, we started having digital programs on equality and race, uh, racial justice and race related issues. Um, and it was sort of through the necessity of having to do those for our community that we we started to gradually learn what worked and what didn't work. Um, and, you know, and just like everybody, everybody's been on the same adventure, right? <laughs> Trying to figure yeah. out Zoom or different platforms or all that. Um, but But what for us it's done is made us realize that um, the, the, the ease of digital, does create an opportunity that that uh, that I think that is going to become uh, part of what we do all the time. Oh yeah, and and I don't think we'll ever go back to 
doing all programs in person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that there is, um, if you can combine the two and, you know, I mean, I think that's going to be a walk that we all walk and try to figure out what that yeah. looks like. Um, but if you can combine the two, it gives you both, um, the, the opportunity to do what is most impactful with the opportunity to scale what is most impactful because, you know, you're, um, my, my relationship with you isn't really different because we're doing this on zoom. Um, right. and the fact that we have a, a relationship outside of zoom is what I think is the critical part of it. In thinking, you know, what's changed for you. It isn't just how you do programs. It's thinking, actually, you're going to do something different when uh, we don't know what normal looks like, but when we get closer back to normal, to normal. you're going to do something as a result of what you have learned mm -hmm. during this period of time. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and, yeah. and it, it's, it's sort of caused us to think uh, a little bit differently um, about our model um, and not, th not that we, you know, we, we're very um, solidly bonded to our model, which is bottom up community up Yeah. Um, that it's in communities where uh, you can increase the civic trust and that it scales. Right. So yeah, right. if we have a hundred people from a hundred different communities, you can get a lot of civic trust in that group, but how does it scale? And yeah, so, which is always the question. We get that question all the time. Like, well, that's great. We say, you know, one conversation at a time. Well, it's going to take you forever to make any change if, you know. Yeah, yeah. although I do, I, I, you know, there's a, a whole big long, uh, that kind of goes a little bit with what I was saying before, which is everybody's sort of taking a different piece of it. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I do think that uh, there's something about the conversations with sort of um, the grass tops that matters a lot because those are people yeah. that steer you know, the culture, you know, sometimes yeah. whether we like it or not. And, yeah. um, and so, so I, I think it's, I, I love what you do and how you do thank it. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Um, as a side comment. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's, I, I think that we just, um, I think that we, we, you know, sort of, well, we sort of decided to start a podcast, didn't everyone? Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I, but really our podcast is more kind of a second, um, life of programs that we do digital programs we do yeah. and, um, and an in-person programs we do. So we actually have a throwback Thursdays where we, um, we're on village square cast. We do a program and you hear an audience and people are laughing and it's just, this really wild. Experience. And it, 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 I find this now when I watch things, um, online or on TV where it's pre pandemic and people are hugging and they're, you know, <laughs> shaking hands and I'm like, Oh, those were those times. Right. So like, Oh, there's a live audience. Remember those days. That was great. <laughs> and the reverse is going to be so weird too. Right. Is, is yes. just sort of getting back to where that feels like it's a normal thing to do again. Um, but, but, you know, I, I think that it's, I, I think I have to be honest and say that, um, from an organizational level, uh, this created an opportunity we would have never, ever pursued. Yeah. And yeah. I'm betting that we, you know, we find that to be true in a lot of places that, that, you know, what is the, the, you know, the Chinese character for crisis is both crisis and opportunity or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, it kind of shakes things out that wouldn't normally get shaken out. I like that. I like, um, I like, we can acknowledge the, the, the 
loss and all the bad things that have happened and the way it has changed us in many ways for the worse, I suppose. But it also, there are things we can learn from this and apply, just as you said, with digital programming. So this is an interesting point when you said this about um, getting back to what it's going to be like to get back. I mean, there's not going to be a day where it's like, okay, the world is normal again, you know? What does that look like for people getting back into those face-to-face conversations in in, the, in a you know a physical setting together? That there are going to be various levels of comfort with that, right? Given the work that we all do in thinking about how to make safe, productive spaces for people to have conversations, have you know sort of mentally unsafe spaces, right? Where we we are talking about things that involve risk, like disagreement, you know, conflict of how I think about something and you think about something. There ought to be some learning we have from that that we can apply to this. What is it like to get back to things in person when we have different comfort levels with the virus itself? But as we were talking about before, some of us have said, boy, this is nice. I can do this from home. I don't have to go out and do it in person, right? And now it's going to push us a little bit out of our comfort zone. Like, what do you think we know Um, Or, you know, what skills and kind of expertise do we have in this field that will make it possible for us to make it comfortable for people to get back to talking to one another again in person? Oh, wow. That is such a good question. That is is a really good question. I'm not completely sure I know the answer to it, but I also know that it, that it's something we're going to have to address, right? Because you're right. It isn't like all of a sudden, okay, now it's great to be in a group of 200 people. Yeah. Because you're going to, I mean, if I'm doing my job well, they're going to be people who have all sorts of different opinions on everything, including masks in that 200. And you know, I mean, I guess, I guess that means that, you know, we're going to have like sort of kind of rules of the road that every organization is going to have some sort of, you know, yes, we recommend this kind of thing going. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but you're right. It, it's, it's almost like the plot gets thicker and it's kind of hard to imagine <laughs> that there is any thicker, but it, it really does. It gets more complicated. Yeah. You know, it's funny though. I mean, this, this whole point about we do have to be able to apply the same kind of humanizing, right? And and as you were talking about, seeing people face to face and you know having those conversations and not demonizing different points of view. That's we've got to we've got to push ourselves to apply that when it comes to well, somebody has a different comfort level than I do with being in person or wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, right? which feels very personal and intimate and complex. I mean, I don't know if you all have had this experience, but but one of the things early on, even the decision about when to stop meeting, yeah, ended up feeling like it had a political valence yeah. that that we didn't want it to have, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um but it it feels like we're just in an environment where everybody is pushed. Yeah. It's 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 a binary, right? Yeah. <laughs> No, it is. You're it for is. this or you're for that. You're either uh, you're us or you're them. And even even decisions like that have felt very um, difficult to do in this environment. No, I think that's right. I mean, I was in a meeting the other day and I was listening to people talking about it. And I got the sense that there were two different points of view. There was the let's put it off as long as we possibly can. And the kind of if you want to put it off as long as you possibly can, there's something wrong with you. Right. Like, yeah, kind of. And as you say, I mean, it's, it, it becomes a binary thing. And, and I think we have to remind ourselves, even though this is not 
you know, or it probably didn't start out political, um, or it's not the same, uh, these kind of subjects you were talking about, your mother tells you not to talk about, where there's tension and there can be tension because people feel so strongly about these things. That's where we are now, right? And it affects you and it affects what you're doing, which is partly why I think the mask thing became so significant. And, and so, you know, I mean, I think we have to kind of redouble our efforts to say in the, in the moments where we really want to get people back together, we're going to have to apply that same thinking we have about, hey, let's hear each other out, right? Like, let's try and understand. Let's try not to worry about persuading so much because we know there are different ways to do things now. Um, but let's, let's listen to see what we can learn from other people's points of view about their, their comfort level. And who knows what that'll push us to that we don't even know how to do now, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, I think one of the real complexities of the problem that we face right now is that it's circularity in the sense that one of the things that we really believe has created the environment where we're that binary, where we're that us versus them, where almost anything becomes a groupish disagreement because the groups don't like each other, you know, they don't they don't understand or empathize with each other is that we don't spend time together. And so, you know, and I know that all of, you know, the efforts across the bridging field have experienced what happens, what great things happen and more easily than you think when you just spend time together. And so, so I, so I do think that some of the, some of this is in a vicious cycle, right? We don't, you know, we're going to have to deal with all this that's so so thick and so awful and I don't want to do it. And so I'm just not going to go. I'm not going to spend time with someone else because who wants to talk about masks, right? Right. Or or whatever else. Um, And, but, but I think if we can find a way to be with each other more, um, a lot of that starts to fall away. It becomes it, it, it becomes less important as a defining characteristic of those other people who you now know some. Yeah. You know, they have kids, you know that they like the same sports team that you like. Um, th- and those things start to fall away. I mean, I, you know, I know some of um, my personal relationships that have grown with people who have very different politics than I do. Um, I, uh, it's not possible for me to go back to seeing them two dimensionally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's because we've walked a walk together and we know each other. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a very interesting way of thinking about it. Cause when we're talking about the digital versus the non digital, you know, like this is also seems two dimensional, right. When we're talking and we're not in the same space together. Um, but in sort of the context of what we've been talking about, one of the things that I, I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I think we were both saying is that nonetheless, when this is what we have, we can still find ways to make those connections. And even when we go back to being in person with one another, we should look at some of those opportunities to be able to reach out to people we wouldn't ever see in person because they're on the other side of the country, right? And like take advantage of that and expand those, those closer relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, both across, you know, across similarities and differences, right? Because, I mean, technology is so helpful 
in us reaching people who care about the things we care about. And, and I don't, and I don't think that we should minimize the value of that. It's incredible. It's extraordinary. You know, it's how you build civilization. It's how, you know, you advance all sorts of different ideas. Um, but you can, you, you can use technology for bridging, um, uh, you know, bridging capital instead of just bonding capital, if you're intentional about it. Um, and, and so it really is a tool, I guess. It's just, you know, just like any tool, it's all in how you use it and how you understand it. And, you know, maybe this is, maybe this in some ways is just this extraordinary moment where it becomes completely clear to us that a, we've got a problem, B, (laughs) B that we need each other, um, see that technology can actually, um, perform a function in, in us, um, you know, making, making progress on this problem. Yeah. Where we wouldn't have thought of it before. It wouldn't have been our first choice. Let's put it. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of thought I, I, to be honest, I kind of thought of it sometimes as the enemy and I I don't anymore. (laughs) Oh, see, that's interesting. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. Okay. Tell, uh, our audience things that you're really excited about. We obviously in the show notes will link to your site, to the podcast, things like that. But what kinds of things are you really excited about that are coming up that people in our audience should know about? So we're, one of the things we're very excited about being able to meet in person again with, and, and this is, uh, this isn't something that we've shared broadly publicly. So uh, your listeners will be in the know. Awesome. Is, is we're starting something that we're calling Flying Pig Academy and, um, and our, we've actually had a mascot from the very beginning for obvious reasons, which is the flying pig. Yeah. And, you know, our, our members get mugs, flying pigs, and, um, and we, we kind of riff a little bit on that. And I think that one of the things that we've, we've come to believe after watching the extraordinary growth in this space and having so much respect for the organizations that are doing this work, that our best and highest use at the village square with our, with our model of, you know, community-based bridge building is to help accelerate what we've learned or or help help use what we've learned to accelerate the knowledge and the progress of other organizations in the space. Nice. And, and so I, I tease that our like tagline motto will be, we've made the mistakes so you don't have to. I love that. I love that. (laughs) Um, and, and so, you know, equipping people with, with tools and ideas and brainstorming and support. And well, um, one aspect of this uh, work will be uh, that people can join us in Tallahassee uh, and experience a couple of events um, in person that I, I think that uh, actually experiencing them um, means a lot. And, um, and, but then, you know, we'll also have some aspects of this that is digital, yeah. <laughs> uh, given our, our, our learnings of late. Oh, that's great. That sounds awesome. I'm excited about that. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being with us uh, and for taking the time to do it because you have a lot of cool ideas to offer to this. So it's been a joy and right back at you. And honestly, I, I, uh, when I retire, I'm going to spend a lot more um, time making sure that I read every single thing that you write and, and <laughs> every word that you utter. You heard Liz mention the podcast that the Village Square launched during the pandemic. That's the Village Square cast, and we will link to that in the show notes. So you can subscribe and get connected to their work. You can also 
to date still participate in virtual programming that they're conducting. And even when they return to in-person face-to-face programming, whether you're in Tallahassee or not, you heard Liz say that digital programming will continue to be a part of their work, having learned its effectiveness during the pandemic. So my hope for you is that you will be able to be a participant in their programming and see, as Liz says, that when you spend time together with people, great things can happen. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, Civil Squared and the Village Square are members of the Bridge Alliance. And you're about to hear my discussion with Jeremy Garson, the Chief of Staff and Legal Counsel for the Bridge Alliance. It's a coalition of about 100, I think Jeremy says in our conversation, it's 90 organizations that are all across the country, uh, have different missions, have different approaches to fulfilling their mission, but they are all focused on healthy self-governance. And what they share is a commitment to five principles that the Bridge Alliance requires its members to commit to. Those include embracing our differences, collaboration, citizen voice, by which they mean that our country will be well represented when informed citizens are active in the political and social processes that make the country run, that their members would focus on solutions as opposed to complaining, criticizing, but looking for good faith problem solving. And finally, open-mindedness. And so I think having listened to Liz, you can see why she was she why the village square is a member of the bridge alliance and why she was there really at the beginning of the bridge alliance uh and why it's an important uh coalition for civil squared those are all principles that matter to us and it has a and all of those have to do with the work that we do now jeremy does many things for the bridge alliance not least of which is to conduct professional development programs so that all of the member organizations have the opportunity to learn about day-to-day administration of nonprofits, but also about important topics that are going on in sort of the bridge building world, in election reform, all of these things. He also makes sure that these member organizations know what each other are doing. And that is of tremendous value to us at Civil Squared. But it also helps these organizations fulfill their missions more effectively. So we wanted to talk to Jeremy a little bit about the Bridge Alliance, but also about what he has learned in listening to members throughout the course of the pandemic. So here's Jeremy. So Jeremy, welcome. I'm very glad you're here. Uh, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about the Bridge Alliance and the work you do. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm extremely honored to be here. A little bit about myself. I am Chief of Staff for the Bridge Alliance. We are a coalition dedicated to promoting healthy self-governance, as we put it. What that specifically means is we have a number of member organizations, including Civil Squared, who promote different democratic institutions, promote conversation, promote reform, promote good governance. And our mission is really to support their missions. One of the things that we love about the Bridge Alliance is the work you do, not only in trying to encourage 
um, bridging divides, democracy reform, all those things. But you're helping all of these organizations. And you have how many members in the Bridge Alliance? Is it? We have approximately 90 members. 90 members. Okay. Uh, and they range from like Civil Squared, like you mentioned, uh, others that our audience might know, Braver Angels, Living Room Conversations, uh, and it goes on and on. And we'll link to that in the show notes so people can see. But one of the things you do in addition to connecting these organizations is also providing professional development so that these organizations can get better at what they do. So, you know, that is big work. There's a lot of work. There's new organizations all the time, it seems like to me, who are working in this space. Yep. Uh, And so you're on top of that, which is awesome. So one of the reasons we thought it would be really cool to talk to you is to hear a little bit about not just how the pandemic has affected your work, but, you know, as we're thinking about, you know, there's good news out there. People are starting to get vaccinated. Uh, infection, new infection rates are going down. Um, and so we're excited about that. And we're excited about the possibility that there's going to be a time, hopefully in the not too distant future, where we can get back to doing these kinds of things um, face-to-face, the kinds of programming that we do and that your members do. Absolutely. But we thought, you know, this is the kind of thing where once we get back to normal, whatever normal is going to look like, uh, we might forget the things that we've learned. So we were actually talking just before we came on about this, about how it's affected your work and how it affects your day-to-day. Um, talk a little bit about what you've seen in the pandemic and what you're learning. What I'm learning is that it is really, really easy with technology to connect with a whole lot of people. Um, Especially now that Zoom is a household name. Um, A year ago, my wife didn't know what Zoom was. Now, if you don't have a Zoom account, you don't exist. Right. Um, But so everyone knows Zoom, everybody's on Zoom. You're having meetings back to back because there's no travel. It's what I've learned is that technology has this potential that is being realized to make us uber efficient in having more conversations and having more connections. So you could probably talk to people or it's more, more likely that you're going to get on zoom and talk to somebody on the other side of the country than you would have in say 2018. Um, I'm assuming Zoom was available. Well, I know it was because we used it in 2018. But it's not like your preferred mode of kind of communication. You'd be more likely to say, let's get together and have an in-person event. And in fact, I was just going to say, I think the last time I saw you in person was at the Bridge Alliance's annual summit, maybe in 2019. Was it 2018? Okay. Uh, 2019. I am losing track of time. Oh, boy. That's that's also a side effect of the pandemic, isn't it? So at that point, I remember this was out in um, College Park, Maryland, maybe. And there were probably, I mean, it was a hotel or convention center ballroom full of people in this work. Hundreds, surely hundreds of people, right? And one of the things that was great was to meet people face-to-face, people that you wouldn't even know necessarily about their work, and to have these times where you could, in between sessions, sit down with people and make connections uh, without being able to do that in 2020, uh, talk a little bit about how the Bridge Alliance adapted 
and kind of things that you learned about how to affect those kind of connections. I mean, I know you can't do exactly the same thing, obviously, but but what did you do um, to connect people who were doing this work that that worked really well, even in the course of using that technology? Did, were there sort of tips you learned using the technology to make things work better? To be completely honest, I think we connected a lot of people this year, but I don't think it worked as well as what we did before. Just to be completely honest about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we became more sophisticated with how we gathered member resources. We became very efficient with making e-introductions between member organizations. A lot of Slack communities started popping up, another household name that nobody knew a year ago. Yep. And we also put an emphasis on, as you mentioned at the beginning of this, uh, our professional growth opportunities, what we call learning sessions. We hosted more of them, especially to help people better understand the, the technologies and innovations out there to help with connecting both in, within your organization and outside. Um, one thing to know about the Bridge Alliance is we don't have an office. We are fully remote and we've always been. Okay. And so um, a couple of years ago, our CEO, Debbie Lynn, was working in Portland, where she lived, and I was in Washington, D.C., and everyone else was everywhere else. So we actually were pretty familiar and comfortable with this technology before the pandemic hit. And so it was more about how do we support the all these member organizations with their transition to new types of events, new types of conversations, new types of networking. Now that, well, or hopefully that in the future, we're going to be able to see each other in person again. What are the kinds of engagements or um, opportunities that you're going to prioritize that you say, okay, well, now that we can finally be together again, here's what we've got to do first in this work that we're doing. I think the first thing is to normalize being around each other because it's, I mean, one of the things obviously the Bridge Alliance encourages is conversations, is connection, is building a community. And there's going to be a lot of fear about coming together, about having those conversations you described at the summit, because even if you're vaccinated, we know vaccines aren't perfect. These vaccines have been, absolutely phenomenal and beyond anybody's wildest expectations but there's still a fear there that there's this virus that may still be with us yeah so trying to break through that fear and make it make it normal again to be around each other yeah yeah is going to be just critical in my yeah No, I think that's a really important point that we may take for granted. I mean, there's not going to be like a date probably where, okay, it's safe. We can all be together. It's going to be something that happens gradually. And even as we gradually move into those kind of exchanges, we have to be cognizant of the fact that in the same way that people have reticence about talking about political issues where they disagree, that kind of thing, our level of comfort 
or discomfort with the ongoing, you know, question about virus. Yeah, uh, variants. We have to be thoughtful about that with each other, right? Yeah. And what do you do the first time you show up to an in-person lunch meeting and the person's wearing a N95 mask? Do you ask yeah. them to take it off? Um, is that okay to ask? Is it okay to ask someone to put on a mask? Yeah. Um, those are going to be conversations that we're going to have to have and who the heck knows how that's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you have to imagine that there is some parallel between the kind of work that we and your members are doing already about uncomfortable subjects that we can apply to this and thinking about it. And so just broadly, what are the things you've been learning from your members about? And, and let's say it can be about politics and things like that, but let's apply it mm-hmm. to the situation. I mean, what are, what are ways that we should approach conversations in these events? What can we do to make it more likely that we can, we can get along with one another in those conversations, <laughs> in those settings? What, what can we be doing to, you know, kind of make it comfortable for other people to, to come together? I think this is one of those areas where it's important to not reinvent the wheel. Civil Square, Living Room Conversations, Braver Angels, All Sides, there are all these organizations and more popping up all the time who specialize in, I'm gonna, I don't like how this sounds, but saying the terms of conversation. And what I mean by that is getting everybody on the same page and making sure that everyone brings to the conversation a sense of the humanity of others. And so I'm going to be looking, I think we're going to be looking to and should be looking to those organizations for leadership on how to have those conversations. We don't have to, as you said, we don't have to make this up necessarily. We have some foundation to work with um, and just going to be a matter of being creative in how the foundation applies to this new world that's coming to us in May, June, July, whoever knows. Tell me, you know, let's, regardless of the pandemic, regardless of the election and everything else, I mean, uh, we are where we are today, you know, in March of 2021. Tell me what you're excited about in the work that you're doing. There, there are a few things. I'm really looking forward to more what we call mastermind cohorts, which bring national and local leaders together to exchange ideas, flesh out projects, see collaborations. That's one area where having Zoom is a blessing because yeah. there's no way to have those conversations with grassroots leaders around the country without technology. And I'm also really, really looking forward to it. I think it's more vital than ever um, in the aftermath of this election cycle to our general diversity work. At the Bridge Alliance, we are about promoting healthy self-governance and you can't have self-governance without the self. If you don't have a representative field one that represents all of America, you're not going to succeed in what we're trying to do. And so we define diversity to include age, geography, race slash ethnicity, and ideology. And it's that last part that I think is a very 
overlooked metric in diversity and just so critical to having to have multiple voices on the at the table and to have everybody understanding that we're all trying to get to the same place. We just have different ways of getting there. So I'm very much looking forward to continuing to try to leverage our position um, as a coalition to achieving greater ideological diversity in this field. Yeah, I think that's really, really important because I think when you look you know, across media and things like that, when people are talking about diversity and inclusion, there are those people out there who think that is kind of signaling for we don't want to hear some opinions, right? And it, to, to include ideology in there, I think is really important. And it's also really complicated because as you know, yeah. we both know this, um, that there are people who will feel like you could tell me whatever you want about how you're going to be open and inclusive. But in fact, whatever my opinion is, or the way I think about things, or the politics that I have, somebody, you don't really mean that somebody is going to actually try and shut down what I'm saying. So it's incredibly important to be explicit about that. And I think you guys are doing awesome work on that, on that front. I appreciate it, Jennifer. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Anything you want to plug for the Bridge Alliance before we... As I, as I was saying earlier on this call, um, I am a terrible salesman. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the reason why I got out of um, campaigns as quickly as I could and got into constituent services when I was on the Hill. Um, I, there is that, the Friends of Bridge program, which I highly encourage everyone to uh, check out. You can access it by going to bridgealliance.us. And beyond that, I, this is going to be a way cop out answer that I'm sure Debbie Lynn will blast me for, but um, no, she's, she's amazing. I love Debbie Lynn, but um, I would just encourage everybody to go on our website and click all members and look at the members of the Bridge Alliance. We are adding new ones um, these days and we're expanding uh, different parts of the coalition and they're really there's so much good happening and I feel like it is incredibly important for people to see that good happening when there's so much bad that gets attention in the mainstream media. I'll also really quickly plug um, our newsletter. Be sure to sign up for that because I am working hard to deliver some optimism. That's good. We need that. And I know how hard that is with what's going on in the world. So we will definitely link in the show notes to the member page so people can see the, the kind of breadth and diversity of the different organizations in the Alliance, as well as once they get to the website, they'll be able to sign up for the newsletter as well. Absolutely. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, Jeremy, for being with us. That's really great. Thank you, Jennifer. I really appreciate this invitation. It was, it was an honor and it was fun. It's always a lot of fun to be able to talk to people who are really passionate about their work, but also in the case of both Jeremy and Liz, people who really are focused on good news and optimism when so much of what we see seems not to be good news. So what I take away from these conversations, apart from, I think, the privilege of knowing people like Jeremy and Liz and how grateful I am for that, is that as we move back into whatever normal looks like, 
We're going to find that in the same way we have levels of comfort and discomfort in talking about political issues, about ideology, about policy, we're going to find the same thing about just being in the same physical space together, that people are going to have different levels of comfort. And in the same way that having productive conversations about those other issues requires empathy and listening and thoughtfulness, we need to bring those things to questions about how do we come together in a physical space face to face again? How do we make those places comfortable for groups of people who have different points of view about what is safe? And I don't think there's an easy answer to that, but I think it's good news that people like Jeremy and Liz are working on it. And I hope that you'll work on it with your friends and your family and your networks to figure out how finally, after so long, we can get together in the same place, face to face, and have productive conversations. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. We'll see you next time for another conversation.